Suraj. Thanks so much for taking time off your schedule to be here today midweek. You're with us from Singapore. And so a warm welcome to you, Suraj. And we're excited to have you here. Thank you, Leah. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. So let's start a little bit with your background. I think you've had an impressive career in various roles. And you are today the AVP of Human Capital at Sequoia India, where you help early stage startups build out their teams across Southeast Asia. And in all, you've spent seven years in the recruitment industry, and half of that time you spent building up Southeast Asia's leading startup recruitment desks for VC-backed businesses to hire critical roles across multiple functions and verticals. So maybe you want to talk to us a little bit more and, and introduce your entire journey and then give us some insights into some of the highlights of your role now. Sure, sure. <clears throat> Thanks for having me. So um, I uh, started my career 12, well, 13 years ago, uh, moved to Singapore, did an FMCG sales role, uh, transitioned into a product manager role. Uh, and then about six years into that journey, uh, I decided to transition to recruitment. And the first half of my recruitment career was focused on accounting and finance recruitment with FMCG and consumer goods companies. And then the rest was spent building uh, what effectively became one of the leading startup recruitment desks in Southeast Asia. Um, and today, I, like you mentioned, worked at, work at Sequoia India, and, and my role here is to help our early stage portfolio companies with everything related to hiring. So uh, attracting talent, retaining talent, thinking about org structure, uh, understanding how to engage with them in the right ways. Um, you know, just really anything when it comes to, to working with talent. It's interesting that you've spent half of the time that you've been in, in your 12, 13 years of your career and you've spent that in recruitment. So what drew you to recruitment, Suraj, and why is this something you find important? Yeah, so I, um, I, I like meeting people. Uh, I like reading people. I, I, I like social dynamics, right? It's, it's a personal uh, hobby or passion. Uh, and... and what I found was what was lacking in my previous roles before recruitment was it was not merit based. Right. And, hmm. and I wanted, when I was thinking about a career change, I wanted something that had to, that was merit based. Right. So where I knew my input had a direct correlation to the output, um, but also something to do with people. And, and somebody suggested I should try recruitment. And uh, once they put it in my head, I couldn't get it out. So uh, I pursued it as a career and, and here we are seven years later. So do you find that to, to, to have materialized or have actually come, uh, come true, the merit-based uh, expectation? A hundred percent. You know, I was fortunate to work at a, at a company called Hudson when I, uh, when I first made the transition and um, their, their model was very transparent, right? And it was literally on the wall. And it was, if you generate X amount of dollars in revenue, your bonus would be Y dollars. Um, and that to me was very different than the environment I was in. And so um, it was very clear, transparent targets that, you know, that were even for everybody. And I really liked that piece of the recruitment industry. Um, and yeah, it was, it was very much, very much the case. And today you're, you're handling recruitment and you're strategizing recruitment for startups and recruitment is definitely crucial for startups. So in your experience so far in the past three and a half years, what might be some of the challenges amongst early stage companies that are recruiting in the midst of a health crisis, you know, what we've seen in the past couple of years, at least. The 
pandemic really changed the perspective on where talent can come from, right? Uh, th there used to be this, these blinders on and, and restrictions around uh, you need to look at talent in country or it needs to be at least regional or in the same uh, time zone. And, and kind of overnight, it became a global talent pool uh, and all restrictions associated with time zones and even language barriers kind of lifted up pretty quickly. And I think this created a massive kind of polarization effect for countries that are host to large pools of technical and niche skilled talent. Um, and it created this sudden drive to attract and hire talent where they are and where they are best skilled versus who can I hire around me. And I think that was a big change. That's multiple different perspectives that you have to look at now. It's not so straightforward at all, right? Yeah. Um, so startups, especially in the high growth phase, I mean, they can face a really brutal talent crunch, right? It's similar to how you're describing. So hiring is also sometimes described as being more difficult than fundraising. But when a startup needs to go from, like, let's say, 5 to 50, for example, how would you say founders should be strategizing around this? So, look, I, I think there's, there's, there's no silver bullet first, right? Like there's no one answer to solve all. Um, I think it's one of three things. The first being talent will always attract talent. So if you can get the right person in your leadership, um, whether it's tech talent or, or even sales or marketing talent, right? If you get the right person to lead the team um, and they're uh, uh, even mid-level, right? If they have a following, if they're evangelists, um, that will bring the next 20 people with them, right? Because they're well-known and these communities are small. They're global, but they're small. Um, and so getting that first person at the top is very important. The other, I think, is, is you know, think long term, right? A lot of times uh, when businesses start out and companies start out, they, they want to work with recruitment agencies because that, that is the, the end all for talent pools, right? They have access to talent that, that a company wouldn't. Um, but then they also want the best of the, in terms of pricing or costing, right? They, they want to negotiate and haggle on rates and things like that. And, you know, my advice is always like, look, it's a service industry, right? You're going to get exactly what you pay for. Um, you know, I came from that side of the table and I can tell you the, the quality of the service can be exponentially different. Um, you know, if you're going to pay market rates, you're going to get good quality service. If you're going to haggle and negotiate, you're going to get subpar service. And that's just how it works, right? It's, again, it's, it is a service-based industry. Um, but I think the last thing is, you know, there's this need within tech companies now to one-up each other, right? There's these bidding wars and, mm -hmm. and it just doesn't make any sense. And, and especially early stage companies, there's always going to be a bigger fish or a bigger player that can throw more money, more benefits. And so um, there's no point getting into that bidding war, right? It, it means that a hiring process can take longer, but it also just means that if you go about it the right way and you're not trying to outbid somebody and the people that are joining you want to join you because of their mission aligned and vision aligned, then they're also going to be cultural champions in the long term, and they're probably going to be long-term hires. And so it, to me, it's, it's a combination of the three things. Right? Getting those three right can help uh, significantly. I think you've covered so much of uh, how to get the right fit. There's also uh, this phrase that I came across recently where founders need to be hiring obsessed during the stage it's high growth phase. So it's because it's no surprise that the quality of these teams is the single best predictor of success, especially in this in the early phases. So what might be some of the factors that founders should consider when they ensure their first or their early hires are the right fit for a high growth business? 
Personally, I think one of the best indicators is actually, you know, when you're trying to figure out like what's a good fit and what do I look for and you know who's going to be the right fit for this role, uh, I think it's important for founders to step back and kind of take a bird's eye view of what's worked so far. Oftentimes, I think uh, leaders can get caught up in what they've been told to believe is the ideal profile for a good candidate. Um, and the reality is that what's a good candidate for your business is not the same for another business. Um, and so to me, it's, you know, the, looking at your own team and saying, okay, if I've hired 10 people and these five have been super instrumental to my success already and the growth that we've had as a business, what kind of candidate were they? Where did they come from? What was the, the background that they came from, right? Were they candidates that had never done the role before and I gave them a chance to step up and um, I experimented and took a punt? And, or, you know, were they, they're experts, right? And, and they came in and I just kind of gave them the keys to the kingdom and let them be. But knowing what's worked in the past is a great indicator of what's going to work in the future. Um, and this changes as companies grow, right? So as they go from early stage to mid stage to late stage, the need will change, but you can only know what's going to work if you know what has worked in the past. That brings me to my next point, actually. Some instances of maybe red flags or even failures in startup hiring. Have there been any key lessons learned in the past couple of years, especially, you know, with all the changes that you mentioned about with the pandemic disrupting all processes? So have there been any lessons uh, in the past couple of years about failures in startup hiring? Yeah, look, I'm uh, I'm not a fan of the word failure. I think uh, I think everything is a lesson. I don't think it's fair to say anybody's failed at startup hiring. It's all a learning journey, right? And and hiring is in itself it's a, it's an art form, right? Getting it right, getting a recruitment process right is a difficult thing. I mean, people have an entire profession built out of it, so it's not a simple you know piece piece it together and kind of take, run it. Um, so to me, it's it's all learning journey, right? There's going to be missteps. Um, and and the founders will iterate and they'll learn what didn't go well, what did go well, and and they'll learn from it. And then, it, you know, it's practice, it's effort, it's building up that knowledge base of best practices themselves and, and then using that to drive forward. So I don't think there's such a thing as failure, right, uh, when it comes to building or hiring a team. Absolutely. There are learnings and there have been many across uh, the past couple of years and especially during the pandemic where people have experimented with different types of work arrangements, uh, looking at how to hire even remotely and meeting the expectations of talent that, that want to work remotely or want to work in a hybrid setting, etc. So have there been any lessons that you have seen personally in the past couple of years when it comes to startup hiring? Look, I, th I think, you know, Again, the, the world has changed, right? And um, one of the things I, I, I believe is one of the biggest things that's changed is that it is no longer an input-driven world. Um, it's a subtle change, but it's mm -hmm. no longer input-driven world. And what I mean by that is mm -hmm. there was this belief that, okay, if somebody clocks in and they put in 40 hours and they deliver X result, then that X result is probably the best it's supposed to be because they put in the 40 hours. And if it's not right, then they'll put in another 20 hours and fix it. And I think that has changed. It's, it's subtle, but I think it's changed. And now it's a matter of, I asked person A to deliver XYZ. They delivered XYZ. I don't need to worry about whether they did it in eight hours or 15 hours or 45 hours. I asked them for one thing. They gave me the one thing and it was great. So I don't need to worry about the rest. And I think that's a lesson that people need to start adapting to. Um, 
and it's tough, right? I mean, you know, we've, I think most people have worked in corporate roles and there's programming, there's innate programming of what work looks like. And then suddenly when it gets turned on its head, it's a little bit different to, to break that programming as well. But I think in the long run, that's where the world is headed. Yeah, and then some key traits that leaders should have as well. When such a shift happens in work styles and what we see and what we think work should be, right? So what might be some of the traits that a manager or maybe even a leader in a startup should have to allow this to happen? Look, I think first, founders need to be very clear that they need to be willing to hire experts to do specific things, right? If a founder can attract and hire experts to do their jobs, then they can sit back and actually run their business and actually strategize and, and have that bird's eye view because their business is running smoothly. Um, but the other thing is they need to be willing to also let go of control. And a lot of times it's, well, oh, but I'm CEO or I'm CFO. I don't want to give that up. And, it, and sometimes it's like, well, look, no matter what title you give away, nobody can take away founders, right? And so you will always be top of the food chain, regardless of who has what role in your business. So it's important to be willing to, to understand where your gaps are as a leader and bringing the right people to fill those gaps for the longer term vision. So we've talked about some of the challenges and you've, you've spoken at length about the strategies even around hiring fast and hiring right. So let's move to the subject of talent retention. What would make these uh, candidates who are just coming in, people who have bought into the mission and vision, what will make them stay where they are and continue to contribute to these shared goals within a new company? I think two things, right? So, so first is founders and HR teams and, and hiring manager, managers shouldn't make promises they don't intend on delivering or had not even fleshed out. Um, I think when a candidate gets to offer stage, the team on the on the startup side is often so excited and they just like, we need to get this across the line that they start to uh, paint these large sweeping images of responsibilities and ownership and impact that this candidate is going to have as a means to get them to join. This is really short-sighted because then they'll join and then they don't have those responsibilities. They don't have that ownership. They don't have that autonomy or impact. And they perhaps weren't even expecting it until it was promised at this offer stage. And then what happens is, They'll join, but then very quickly, they'll also turn out, right? And so it's more important to paint a positive and optimistic view of impact and change that can be achieved, but one that's truthful and transparent and not manufactured as a means to getting the person to join. Um, the other thing that I think is like super important with just in general with founders and, and, and companies, um, both around retention, but even defining culture, for example, um, and I always give this advice to founders is like ask your employees what they want, right? Especially early stage, you know, you have the opportunity to sit down with these, these employees that are part of your journey and that have helped you build what you've built. Uh, and you can ask them one-on-one, -on -one, you know, at the six month mark at the year end review, like ask them, what do you want out of this job? Like, what do you want in the next two years? Right. And, and take it down and understand what their aspirations are, because then at least, you know, what it's going to take to take, to keep the people that are critical to your business. And retention shouldn't be a afterthought where you're trying to retain somebody after they've already mentally checked out and walked out the door. Retention is keeping them engaged through their career within your organization. That means knowing what's going to keep them engaged through their career at your organization. So retention is, in fact, a uh, priority for all 
uh, recruiters themselves right at the beginning, the first touch point with the company, and they should already be thinking about that. So on that note, more companies are changing the way they operate post-COVID, and we are in the recovery phase right now. Everything is opening up. Uh, We've had remote work, fully remote work, but with hybrid work and now hyper-connectivity, data-driven work structures, how should recruiters be thinking about hiring the right talent? Look, I don't think that it's... Like recruiters will take a, a a job description. They'll try to understand what's required technically, um, you know, budget constraints, uh, team sizes, team management experience, and they'll they'll package all of that and try and find the right fit. Um, I think it's more it lands on the the founders, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's their responsibility to think about how do they want to go about recruiting and hiring talent, right? And what kind of talent do they want? Again, do they want uh, candidates who are, they're going to take a punt on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the message that needs to be sent down, right. To the recruitment team to say, Hey, look, like it's okay. If they've never managed a team before, if they're good and you like them, like let's, let's chat, let's speak to them, right. Let's give them a chance. Let's get, let's see if they can cut it. If I believe that they are ambitious enough to learn how to manage a team, we'll put in the, the infrastructure to coach them to get there. Um, but that's a founder decision and it's, a, it's, it's driven from the top. And I know founders have a lot of weight on their shoulders already, but like, that's the job of the founder, right? They have to own almost all of these critical pieces. And that includes figuring out what is the persona that works best in their organization. Yeah. That also goes back to what you said earlier, which I'm reminded of the, the, the fact that um, it's a buzz eye view that you should have and looking at moving away from input driven uh, work cultures where you're looking at, at more autonomy maybe in terms of uh, performance and, and ownership of the work that, that people take on as they come into these new companies. So we're in 2022 and it's safe to say that any company today is or should be a tech company in one way or another. So what would you say might be the top three challenges facing tech recruitment today and what might be the ways to tackle them? So the first is that global talent war for sure. Uh, you know, you're you're now fighting for the same talent pool with every organization anywhere in the world, um, and that creates a massive disparity. Uh, you know, there are organizations who are always going to be able to pay more and offer more benefits, etc. Um, so my my again my response to that one or my, my my suggestion on how to tackle it is don't don't get into the bidding war. It's one that never ends. It's never going to work out. Um, and if somebody is playing numbers over impact, then they're probably the wrong fit for your organization anyways. Mm-hmm. Right. And today they have power and they have leverage, but that plateaus out and it's going to plateau out. And then they'll come to the realization that they're probably unhappy in the role they're in. And yes, they get the paycheck that they want, but that's about it. Um, so that's that's one of the challenges. I think uh, the other other challenge or the next challenge would be the fast moving expectations of that landscape, right? So I think before attraction and retention of talent was uh, very different, right? I think now you have to consider when you're offering candidates and to join you, you have to think about work from home benefits, um, insurance for the family, right? Annual leave, mental health benefits. Like mm. three years ago, nobody was talking about these things. It wasn't part of the conversation. And today in a, in a post-COVID world, insurance is probably top two priorities for anybody taking a new role, especially if they have a family, Mm. right? If their family is not protected, 
when you have a pandemic that knocks people off their feet and puts them bed, you know, bedridden for seven to 10 days at a time, it doesn't matter how much money you make if your family's not taken care of, right? So, so understanding the, the fast movement expectations of the landscape and being able to build that into what you're offering out. Because you have the, these founders have these, this unique ability to build a lot of that stuff into what they're offering out and do it rapidly versus larger organizations who need to think about the global impact of rolling out one of these policies and the global cost of rolling out one of these policies. But if you decide to add insurance for your 10 employees, it might cost another $20,000, $30,000. But guess what? Everybody's happier. They're less likely to leave. And when you're attracting people, they're probably also more inclined to join, right? And so, so to me, that's that like managing and understanding the expectations and adapting to it. But the third, I think, is, is speed, right? Because it's a global landscape, because everything is virtual, everything is connected, you know, the days of let's fly you in for an interview, let's, you know, take our time, let's have you meet 10 people, it, it's not out there, right? It's just not going to happen. But conversely, I think there's also this, this other end of the spectrum where founders are like, well, now there's infinite profiles out there. So even if I find somebody good, how do I know there isn't somebody better, right? Oh, I found a nine out of 10, but surely there's a 10 out of 10 out there. There might be, and you might spend two more weeks looking for that potential 10 out of 10, but the nine out of 10 got a job and moved on already, right? So it's about acting. Like you find somebody good, act, hire, and upskill them in wherever they're lacking, right? But it should be a gut instinct that, look, I feel good about them. Stop chasing perfection and pull the trigger. And I would say it's probably the, the biggest challenges. So we spoke about the challenges, but they are solutions to, the, to these problems. What impact do you think technology or recruitment technology, et cetera, especially in terms of speed, uh, technology like Manatals can have on recruitment? It's all data, right? Everything is data. It's who can store the most data in the most organized manner, in the most accessible manner, in the most collaborative manner, mm-hmm. um, in a location that's cheap and easy to use and, and pleasant on the eyes and pleasant on the experience, right? And so I think a company like Manitel does that, right? It, but it also plays a huge part in the candidate experience because the, it's the slightest difference between me and let's say I'm working with a teammate and there's the slightest difference between me talking to a candidate and saying, thanks for taking the time to speak with us again. I know you spoke with us six months ago versus, oh, it's really nice to meet you. And then being surprised when they're like, hey, I spoke to your colleague three weeks ago. Right. And it's it's that subtle difference that and the candidate experience starts at that very part of the journey. And at that point in time, that's when the candidate experience starts. So being able to know what's happening at a global level all the time is super important. Right. And I think there have always been ATSs. Right. I've used many, many of them through my recruitment career. Um, I think the biggest pain points, one, you know, there's just like there are the pricing makes zero sense, right? And and for an early stage company that's raised, you know, anywhere between $300,000 and $4 million, like paying these kinds of fees is really hard to justify because most of the time the person buying the product is not even an HR professional, mm. right? They're a founder trying to figure out like, where do I store this information? Um, and so the pricing never, never, never really made sense. But the second is, and I've I've experienced this personally. The rigidity and the the lack of flexibility in these organizations is is unreal, right? I mean, you can ask for a change, and it's supposed to be a bespoke solution for you, but you can ask for a change, and there's a two year development roadmap. And most recruiters churn out of firms in like eighteen months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, whereas with an organization like Manitou, you can go to them and say, "Hey, look, this is great, but I think we need to tweak this, or you should add this," and there is rapid 
rapid innovation and evolution happening all the time, right? And so that, to me, that's, that's disruption. You take something that's, it's there and it's working, but it's just not working as fast. It's not as smooth. It's not as cheap. And it's just rigid. And you, you disrupt it and you do something better, faster, cheaper. And, and that's what Manitel does. Faster, that goes back to the speed element that you spoke about in terms of challenges uh, for recruitment today. Let's move a little bit into the recruitment process now and talk about the role of the hiring manager. In, in your experience, what might be the role of the hiring manager in making sure they get the right candidate through the door and to stay with the organizations? Any best practices you'd like to share? Look, I think it, it comes back to some of the things that we said earlier, right? Yeah. Which is one, don't offer things that you're not planning to deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, because it'll fall on you, right? And and unfortunately, the founder can be the one doing the offering and then the hiring manager is left collecting the pieces of, well, these are the candidates' expectations of what this role is going to be, but that's not what the role is going to be. Um, so I think founders and hiring managers have to work very closely together to make sure that they're both clear on what the role is going to be, what the expectations are going to be, but also they they're, they need to be aligned. They need to be cultural champions, mm-hmm. right? And you can't have a lopsided equation for either one of them, right? So if you have a great founder who's this talent magnet and he attracts talent and people like him and, and he inspires people, but then you have a hiring manager who's negative and is demeaning and puts people down, they're still part of the interview process. So the founder can be amazing and he can inspire a candidate and then they get the candidate gets just round two and they're like, this was great, but if I have to work for this guy, I'm not interested. Right? So if they're not aligned from a culture, mission, vision, energy, outlook on, on roles and responsibilities, if, they're not, if there's no alignment there, or at least synergy in terms of wavelength, then it's, it's just not going to work. It's interesting because all these things culminate in the employer brand itself, whether it is the first touch or whether it's an, an exit experience, but it's still within the employer branding experience. So what might be the role of employer branding for for those in early stage, the companies in early stage uh, growth. So look, I, it's actually advice that I give all our, all our founders, which is that's the one thing that you can control and it's completely free, right? It's one of the best tools in your toolbox when it comes to trying to attract talent, right? It's if you build a good culture and you, I mean, yes, there's a marketing team and they'll churn out, you know, this is what our culture is like and they put up beautiful videos and all this stuff, right? But if you build the right culture and the actual employees like working at your company, that's, that's all it really takes. So that it amplifies the content that's being put out by your marketing team and it doubles down, right? For every video that your marketing team puts out that says, hey, it's great to work here. The employees will tell their friends and their peers, like, actually, this is real. Like, this is actually what it's like working here. But it also has a converse effect, which is if it's not real, they'll very quickly be like, this is not this is not real. Like this is, this is not what it's like working here. So employer branding comes down. It, it matters, but it's a byproduct of getting the, right, the culture right. And if you get your culture right, then the employer branding is a massive tool, right? But I think with employer branding, and again, unfortunately, a lot of it falls down to the founder, right? A founder's authenticity is one of the biggest tools that's out there, right? And, and it's not about talking about their business or what they're building, Oftentimes, you just see founders that are just, they're humble or opinionated, or they just have a viewpoint that other people have. And it's not offensive and it's not demeaning. It's just like a real human opinion. And 
people connect to that and that's polarizing as well. And that's employer branding, right? Because it's, I believe in what this guy is saying. I like the way he thinks, which means that that trickles down into the culture of the company, which means that I would love to work there as well. You you have had vast experience in the recruitment space. I mean, seven years, and then you spent half of that in in you know looking into startups and how they can scale their hiring and make the right kind of hire. So, what advice would you give, Suraj, to someone starting out in recruitment today? Um, so, my advice to anybody starting out uh, in the industry would be just like don't ever forget what it was like looking for a job. Like it is not a pleasant experience, right? It's a lot of effort. It's very minimal outcomes for high volume of work. And, and it's just an exercise in consistent disappointment most of the time. Mm-hmm. And when a candidate comes to you, you don't have to give them that same experience. You have the unique opportunity to give them a little bit of hope and tell them to keep on and it's okay. Keep at it. You'll find a role, right? And, you know, letting them know that they didn't waste their time, waste their efforts. And it's just a little bit of hope. And it could be something as simple as, you know, like the the way I thought about it was always, if a candidate is going to take their time to come out and meet me, they're going to carve out time away from their family and they're going to carve out time away from their job. And they're going to skip their lunch to do this interview with me. At the very least, they should have felt like they gained something out of it. It should not be, they should not have walked out of that feeling demeaned or disheartened, or feeling like they wasted their time. Like it, there's, there's no benefit to that, right? But then on the other side, if you, if you treat them well, if you remember that they're just people and they're asking you for help, and you're in a position to help them, even in the smallest ways, do it. Mm-hmm. Not every interaction has to be self-serving, right? Yes, it's a, it's a commission-based industry, and it's a sales organization, and there's always this chasing of numbers and closing deals. But you know, there's nothing wrong with helping people along the way. And those are the relationships. The people that you help are going to be the ones that eventually come back and remember you. And they end up being the clients that have only loyalty to you. Mm. And and people who think long-term and think about it holistically in that way will probably benefit the most. It's it's interesting that you say it's a, it's an exercise in consistent disappointment. I think that's usually how it is in the beginning when you start something. And how was your experience? So I'm curious to find out when you started out, what was it like? You know, and, and that's the thing, right? I, if you, if anybody looked at my LinkedIn profile uh, prior to joining Hudson, they would see a company that fortunately or unfortunately, nobody's actually heard of, right? And, and it's, it's a large company. And I learned a lot there. It's one of the, one of the best learning experiences of my career. But at the same time, like if anybody looked at it, they'd be like, I don't understand. Like, what is this? And it was that. It was once somebody said, you should try recruitment. You know, first, I applied for your standard software roles and sales roles and all this stuff and nothing panned out. And then somebody said, you should try recruitment. And, you know, I did, I interviewed with four different agencies, right? I interviewed with one, we did seven rounds. I interviewed with another, we did five rounds. I interviewed with another, I did two rounds. And then I interviewed with Hudson and they gave me a chance, right? And, and that in itself builds loyalty, mm-hmm. right? Somebody was willing to at least let me in the door and make a case for why I'm going to succeed or why I'd like to succeed or why I'd be good at this role. And they took a punt on me. And that is huge for culture building because that would have made me a loyalist for many, many, many years. And, and I left because I wanted career growth. But for the three and a half years that I was there, I bled Hudson. And, and that's the thing, right? It's, it's like remembering that, hey, like, while everybody else said no, and these guys could have very easily said no too, they said yes. So let's prove that it was worth it. 
And today, when I'm asking you the question about your beginnings, and you're still talking about Hudson, so which means that such a chance taken on you like that was was an incredibly powerful uh, experience. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's it's it changed the trajectory in my it changed the trajectory of my career. It changed the trajectory of my life. Hmm. It's it's a simple one person saying, "Let's take a chance," especially when three other people said no, three other organizations said no. It, a really powerful insight because you know a lot of many people have stories like this where they consistently shut off and they don't see the opportunity that they think they should have but instead are given totally different opportunity and that's where they they see the greatest growth so that's that's very nice to hear thanks for sharing uh, suraj and on that note thank you very much for your time today it's been a great pleasure really hearing your insights into startups and how they should hire the right talent how founders should be thinking and and i'm sure the audience also want to know more about you and and square india so where can they find you on linkedin anywhere else any other channels yeah uh so i'm primarily on linkedin i'm quite active on there uh i make it a professional courtesy to respond to every message i get and to uh look at every profile and for every connection that i get added to so um feel free uh i'm not an email guy um so so um that's that is the opposite of ways to reach me uh but yeah i'm on linkedin uh not not really active on any other platform great thank you so much suraj and we have been talking to suraj langani who is avp of human capital at sequoia india Do look out for future podcasts from All In Recruitment and stay tuned for next episodes. Thanks for having me, Lydia. Thank you, Suraj. That was awesome.